Okay, the moment we've all been waiting for. Um, Jonathan and Andrea are amazing uh, couple in the church, and they will stand up at some point and come and join me on stage. I'm not talking today, you are, so would you come up? Um, they're, uh, I, I don't know if you know them, they're CEOs of an incredible uh, organization called Soulmates Academy, where they um, really bring relationships to life and, uh, and invest in marriages, especially in corporate settings. They uh, are also TED Talk famous with uh, just a little talk they did a little while ago that's got well over two million hits as well, which is pretty impressive. But you will probably know them most famously um, and internationally from the Blender Bar. Um, they are making coffees for you and Justin Severture. And such is their love for, for this church and for God. Um, they just serve. Everything they do, despite how amazing they do it, is just out of service. So I'm really excited to have you guys speak today. Thank you as well for doing this last minute as well. We haven't given them much notice. But I'm going to hand over to you. Why don't we just pray a blessing on you guys. Father, thank you for, these, uh, for this wonderful couple. I just love how they love you. They love you first. And out of that place, they've just learned to love each other in such a beautiful way. And Father, as is the call that's put on their lives, that they teach us to, they've taught so many people, they've invested in so many people, they've shown so many people what it is to show and share that love and that relationship. And as they talk about that and talk about their love for you and their relationship with you, Lord God, today, may you just bring it and breathe it to life in us. Give us hearts to receive and eyes to hear and ears to hear. I say, Lord God, bless you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now I'm on, now I'm on. And I forgot my water. Um, good morning, church family. Good morning to church family online. Sometimes we would have been there typing Good morning, church family, from the, you know, doing it remotely. Good morning or hello to those who will be watching the, the service on Catch Up. John and I are excited, we're honored, we're humbled to be sharing the message with you this morning. As Richard said, it was last minute, but I tell you what, we're in awe of God because it wasn't last minute for him. The, the, one of the things that warmed our hearts to St. Albans Vineyard was the three prayers that we do each month, spiritual growth, relational growth, and for provisions. And what's last minute for us turns out to be the day that we get to be talking about relational growth when we're changing the watchman service. And then more than that, we feel so welcomed by God. Four years ago at a new wine service, that song um, that we sang first, was the song I decided in my heart would be our theme song, Worthy. You know, it, yeah, it, it just, we had no conversation with the worship band, but those words mean so much to us. If you saw John and I talking, it was a, can you believe this is a song and this song and this song? Because those words, holy, there is no one like you. There's none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are, fill me with your heart, lead me in your love to those around me. And that's really what we're talking about today. So we just, we're just in awe of God and we know he set this whole thing up. So, as you know, we're doing the love series. Uh, Pastor Mark kicked us off three weeks ago talking about God's definition of love and how that contrasts with what the world calls love. 
And then a couple of weeks ago, we had our wonderful Emma talking about forgiveness and the fact that God's goal was reconciliation. And then last week, we had Chris Birch Evans talking about how God has been pursuing us with his love, that it's not about religion, it's about relationships. And here we are, and suddenly, one of those and suddenly moments, continuing this love and relationship series. John and I love talking about love, don't we? We love talking about love. Um, And it's the work that we've been doing, the passion that we've had for the last 25 years. And as it happens, and this is another God thing, we didn't think about what day it was when this title of this message landed on our hearts. And the title of the message, The Call to Relational Growth. So we have one simple, urgent message this morning, and it's this. Relational growth isn't just a good idea. It is central to our call as Christians. We must become intentional and take personal responsibility for learning how to do relationships well. That's what we're talking about today. Indeed. Now, one of the, um, the key messages that we deliver when we take the work that we do... Novices with this. Hello. Oh. Hello, one, two. You can, you're going to talk into my mic. Talking to your mic. It's very close together. Isn't it great when technology plays more? One of the, um, the key messages that we communicate when we go into organizations, uh, as Richard was saying, we do this stuff everywhere. Wherever people will let us in, we come and talk. But when we go into organizations, we talk to them quite often about social health, how they can improve that, how they can improve um, their well-being, how they can improve the culture and be more inclusive, which is very topical in the current environment. But when we have those conversations with them, we focus very much on why. Why are we doing this stuff? Why are relationships so central? Why are they so, so vital to you, the organization? And as um, any good consultant will do when you're talking to organizations, You've got to show them what the pain is, what the cost is of doing it. So they think, oh, actually, we should be doing this stuff. Unless they can see that, they're like, yeah, next. So we actually talk to them a little bit about why this stuff is so, so vital. And if you'd indulge us for just a moment, we want to share a couple of little snippets so you can see why being proactive about investing in relationships is just second to nothing. Did you know that um, back in 2016, the Mental Health Foundation, some of you may or may not have heard of them, but they reported that Uh, get this, relationship breakdown, they said, is killing us, they use the word, it's killing us, as fast as um, smoking and alcoholism, and and, um, faster than obesity and lack of exercise. That's what relationship breakdown, this is the Mental Health Foundation saying, this stuff is having an impact, guys. Uh, And their strong recommendation was, we have to get better at doing relationships. And then on World Mental Health Day, 2018, I think, three years ago, almost exactly three years ago, it comes up on the 10th of October every year. Theresa May, you may remember her, Theresa May, yeah? (laughs) She appointed the UK's first ever minister for suicide prevention on that day. And Jackie Doyle Price, I think her name was, when she came in, she she said, actually, relationship breakdown is at the core of so many of the um, Uh, society issues that we face today, loneliness, uh, homelessness and suicide, relationship breakdown is really at the core. 
So it turns out that relationship breakdown is not only at the heart of social health, we kind of get that emotional health relationship breakdown will impact that. Financial health, it can hit our pockets as well, but it is also hitting our mental health and our physical health big time. If that wasn't bad enough, it's also impacting our spiritual health. And if you stop and think about it, actually, that's why Jesus died. He died to restore relationships with the Father and with each other. Getting relationships right is central. If we step back and just look at the Bible as a whole story, right from the beginning through to the end, it's all about relationships. It starts with God, the Trinity, as a relational being, creating human beings to be in relationship with him and with each other. And then what happened? Two things happened in the garden when sin entered. It broke relationship with God, and it broke relationship with each other. How do we know that? Adam and Eve hid from God when they used to walk in the cool of the evening in freedom with him. And then they start, they turned in on each other and started blaming each other. So from Genesis through to Revelation, God has been after us. He's been on a mission to restore broken relationships. The devil's been on a warpath to destroy them from in the garden. And you know what? He still uses that strategy today because he knows if he can break relationships, he'll cripple our faith. He'll silence our testimony. The number one target is marriages because if he can destroy, if he can silence or break that natural unit of agreement, he can destroy families and he can shut us up in our testimony. That's the war path he's on. God's on a mission to restore and to reconcile. Story after story in the Bible, as you read it, you see God's been pursuing us in his love, showing us how to love each other and bringing us back into reconciliation with him and with each other. Remember when Jesus was asked, what are the, what's the greatest commandment? You know, the Pharisees are always trying to trip him up. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love God. That's the first one. And the second one is this. Love thy neighbor as thyself. And that's not just the neighbor next door, even though sometimes we need a command to make us love them as well. <laughs> but... I find it hugely significant, hugely significant, that just before Jesus went to the cross, his prayer was for our unity. In John 13, 34 to 35, he said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So Jesus knew that he was going to the cross and that his death and resurrection would take care of this issue of sin and getting us back in right relationship with God. But I believe he also knew that while we're here on earth, we would have to walk out that call to unity with each other and that self-centeredness and the devil on our back would mean that that would be our greatest challenge. Most of us know the end of the story, right? We're going to be, the intimate relationship is gonna be restored between Christ and his church. But until he returns, 
He's given us the job. He's given us the responsibility of learning to love well and becoming ministers of reconciliation. That's our job. And what a job. So how are you getting on with that? <laughs> it ain't an easy job. It ain't an easy job. Sadly, the difference inside the church and outside the church ain't much difference in relationship breakdown. It's impacting us everywhere. Um, all sorts of issues, family breakdown, divorce, racism, um, exclusion, kind of happening everywhere. We need to get better. As Christians, relationships um, and reconciliation, there are ministries. What really we should be doing. So how can we get better at that? The only way we think is to become intentional about relationships, to actually think about them and actually go to work to make them happen. They don't just happen on their own. Too many of us find that out the hard way. We need to be doing some work at them. So there are three points that we really want to share with you this morning. All good talks, three points, right? I've got three points for you. <laughs> the first of them is to do relationships well, you must know who you are and whose you are. Two things you need to know. And again, when we hear the, some of the songs that were chosen this morning, we're like, Lord, only you, you knew. Yeah, pour it out, pour it into us so we can pour out. We, we've got to know that. There's an expression I love which um, simply says, the well needs to be deeper than the bucket. If you're trying to fill the, <laughs> fill the bucket, you need to have a deeper well or else you're not going very far. The point is to be able to give, we have to first have. And to be able to do relationships well, our core needs need to be met first. Pastor Mark reminded us three weeks ago when he spoke about the God-shaped hole. We've got, to, we've got to fill that God-shaped hole with God, otherwise, what are we doing? I always remember my, one of my mum's uncles sharing with me the challenges that he had when he first came to this country back in the, I think it must have been about the early 1950s. He came to this country as a black man. He was from Guyana. When he left Guyana, he was in the armed forces. He was an officer. He was district commissioner for one of the largest regions of Guyana. He was a fairly senior guy in society. Come to this country, could not get a job for love, no money. Wherever he went, frustration, 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 no jobs. In the end, somebody said to him, you know the problem with you, Les? You're just a square peg in a round hole. So he said, well, find me a blooming square hole. <laughs> that was his response. Where is the square hole? We're trying to fit the wrong thing into the wrong holes. And with, with um, the God-shaped hole, the only, the only filling for that is God. We've got to fill that first. And the scriptures tell us God is love. So if we want to be to love, we need to be filled with love to be able to pour out love. That's, that's, where, that's the starting point. Um, 1 John 4, 19, in the Passion Translation says, our love for others is our grateful response to the love God first demonstrated to us. The more we get a sense of how, love, um, how loved, how accepted, and how embraced that we are, the more we can love God in return and the more loving we can become. But it all starts there. And that's why, as Andrew said, one of the devil's main tactics is for us to doubt the love of God and to convince us that we have to work to earn his love. That's not the real story. That's not the original plan. We don't have to work to earn his love. His love is there. That's just the devil. As um, Chris pointed out last week, sin corrupts us and separates us from God. The moment that sin entered the Garden of Eden, relationships changed. So what did Adam say? He said, 
the woman you gave me made me do it. So right there, what did he do? He broke two relationships with God and the woman right there in just that one line. Bad choice, absolutely. You can just imagine Eve saying, seriously, Adam, seriously? <laughs> we, we had that conversation about the apple. Um, that, that, that could be another whole sermon right there, all, all on its own. But the point is, human character was corrupted from one of trust and fellowship to one of blame and self-centeredness right there. And we still battle with that right to this very day. Now, even if you struggle with the detail of that story, you know, was it really a serpent? Was it really an apple? Um, or with the concepts of sin and temptation, the point is that something spiritually profound happened that day that changed relationships forever. They introduced um, you know, anger, hurt, blame, self-centeredness, distance from God. None of that stuff existed before then. That was all the cause of sin. So basically, separation from God means a loss of identity. And that change in position changes our disposition. I'll say that again. Separation from God means a change in our identity, a loss of identity, and that change in position is what changes our disposition. And what does that mean? Sounds like clever words. These were Andrew's words for that one, that line she came up with. <laughs> what it means is that separated from God, we can't be who we were meant to be. That's the simple breakdown of it. When we're separated, we can't, we can't be what we really were supposed to be in the first place. But thank God for Jesus because Oops, yeah, back on. It works both ways. Changing our position to be in right relationship with God changes our disposition back to how it was meant to be in the first place. Yeah, we'll give you an example on that. So I recently did my DNA, you know, ancestry, find out your roots and so on, and I discovered that I'm 39% Nigerian and 20% Scottish. So <laughs> I, I'm now, I, I, and I love the regality of Nigerians. You know, I've never been to Nigeria, but if you've ever seen them dress for a wedding, it's elaborate, it's extravagant, it's, it's just magnificent. For me, that's a taste of what heaven will be like. So as I'm doing my family tree now, I'm having these flights of fantasy that maybe I'll discover I'm a Nigerian princess. Maybe I'll discover that I'm royalty and related to the queen. And I can just picture myself, you know, decked out in that Nigerian outfit, learn to tie the headdress myself, or get to be invited to tea at Balmoral because we're long, 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 long distant cousins or something. And just thinking about that makes me walk a little taller, Stand a little straighter, extend a bit more grace. You can't upset me because I'm royalty. But here's the reality. Here's your reality. Here's my reality. I'm the king's kid. You're the king's kid. And if you're not yet the king's kid, this is your invitation to become the king's kid. Because when we know who we are, when we know whose we are, we stand a little straighter, we walk a little taller, we extend a bit more grace. That change in position changes our disposition. If we just understood that we are loved eternally, that we're made on purpose for a purpose, 
the way we respond to people, the way we turn up, the way we deal with offense, the change in our position will change our disposition. You know, there's a story, a little story that's tucked away in John's account uh, of uh, the, the Last Supper. And it speaks volumes to me about being anchored in knowing who you are. And in John 13, 3, it says, because Jesus knew that the Father had handed all things over to him and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he got up from the meal, removed his outer clothes, took a towel and started washing his disciples' feet. Now, remember the context. Jesus knew he was about to be betrayed, he was about to be denied, he was about to be deserted, he was about to die the most gruesome, he was going to be killed in the most horrific way. And yet he still was able to find that love and humility to wash the disciples' feet. You know, that blows my mind. But that's what happens when you know who you are. He says, I know you guys are going to do all that stuff, but you know what? You don't even know who you are, but I know who I am. And when we know God's love for us, we don't need to fight each other and try and tear from each other recognition or attention or respect or approval or security because we know we're the king's kid. Daddy's got my back. Daddy knows. You know, Romans 8:28, or, or rather 38, nothing, nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor fears of today, or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Yeah. Nothing. And if we stand in that position, it will change our disposition. We cannot, we, 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 uh, don't be like the older brother, you know, in the parable of the, the prodigal son. Don't be like the older brother who was in his father's house and his disposition was bitter and hateful and angry. He didn't know who he was. He didn't know whose he was. Let the knowledge of who we are in Christ change our disposition. To do relationships well, we have to know whose we are and let that be the foundation on which we love each other. I think I went off track there. Let me see what I was supposed to have said. <laughs> so that's point one, and hopefully you're taking some notes out there. The second point is, to do relationships well, we have to love the way God defines love. Yeah? God is love. So how does he define love? So turn with me, if you will, to what is it? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. That's that verse on love many of us have in our weddings. Everybody goes there when they want to find out about love. So hopefully we have that coming up on the, on the screen here. But I'll, I'll read it to you. It says, love is patient, love is kind, as long as they do things my way. It is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude as long as I have my way. It is not easily angered and keeps no record of wrong as long as they don't get in my way. Oh, I'm reading from the uh, SAE version, by the way. That's the um, super amplified egocentric version. I don't know if you have that one. It's a good one. No, of course it doesn't. The reality 
It says love is patient, love is kind. It is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Uh, it does not keep a, what is it? Uh, it does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. Ouch, 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 ouch. I mean, how many of those do you fall at? We all do. But that is love. It's not an easy thing to achieve, but that's the gold standard. That's what we're trying to get to. The truth is, it's not our, in our fleshy nature to love. It doesn't come naturally to us. It's something that we need to go out of our way to learn to do and actually say, oh, yeah, I need to love. It sounds like it's hard work. But when we're filled with love, like we said, we started with that one. Once we know who we are and whose we are, then it's easier to love. But that's the starting point. It's actually made easier by our connection to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches for a reason. It's not the branches doing the work to produce the fruit. The branches are just there. The sap is coming up through the vine and it's working its way through and it's, it's what's producing the fruit. To be connected, to be able to do the hard work, we need to, to be connected to that vine. That's, that's, that's the purpose in some of this stuff. Now you see why some of these scriptures are out there. There's a reason for them. It's not just nice words. There's a reason, God says, plug into the vine. The, the fruit of the Spirit's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. The first of those is love. But they're coming from the vine. We need to plug into the vine to be able to, to get them. Without this ongoing connection to God, our natural default is not pretty. It's blame. It's looking out for ourselves. It's all about me. It's very self-centered. As people, of course, present company, method, you know, we're not talking about you guys in here, but those people out there, selfish bunch. Kind of, yeah, that's what they do. And, and when we are selfish, what it does, when we really think about ourselves, what it does is it takes chunks out of people's, what we call emotional bank accounts. We all have emotional bank accounts, and some of you will have heard us talk about this before. If you haven't, very quickly, all it is is a mental record that we all keep subconsciously. We all keep a record of every interaction we have with the people around us. I meet you today, we set up an emotional bank account. None of us know it, but it's there. And then every interaction we have from that point on is either a deposit or a withdrawal from that account. If it's a positive, if it's positive, it's a deposit, it's a cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. If it's negative, it's a withdrawal, it's just sucking the life out of that account. But the balance in the account is the quality of the relationship at any point in time you can check in. If the balance is positive, the relationship feels good, maybe even feels great, the balance is right up there, relationship feels good, you're all, hey, this is good. When it drops to zero or into overdraft, you're in bad territory. It, it, the relationship feels scratchy or a whole lot worse. So we say the success formula or the game in town, I like to call it, is you've got to work to get that balance back into positive territory. What's really important and really, really interesting here is it's got nothing to do with what you intended. You might have had the best will in the world when you said something, you did something. It's all about how it lands with the other person. If it lands badly, it's a withdrawal. No matter what you say, you might have had, as I said, you wanted, you wanted to do good. They didn't perceive it like that, it's a withdrawal. So what we need to do is we need to recognize what we're doing uh, that isn't landing so well and stop doing those things and then figure out what is it that I need to be doing and actually start doing those. And when we can do that, we can get the balance back into positive territory. So one of the other things that we can do though is, so, and, and that, that's how you manage somebody else's emotional bank account. You've also got to try and do what you can to manage yours and that's where really filling from the vine can help you because what it does is it actually allows you 
more grace. When they say things, stuff coming at you, arrows coming at you, you can kind of duck them a little bit easier because they don't land in you so much when you're filled with, with, with the vine and filled with grace. So much better to, to stay connected to the vine and as Andrew is saying, let your position change your disposition. And that leads us on to point three. Yeah, so that leads us neatly onto this point, And this is it. To do relationships well, we must learn to make space and grace for difference. You know, 1 Corinthians 12 could be called the chapter on diversity, equity, and inclusion because it just describes through the entire chapter that we're wired differently, but that we need each of us to get the job done. You know, in verses um, 7 to 11, it talks about the nine different spiritual giftings. You know, it's um, the, the, the utterance gifts, the words of knowledge, the healing, the miracles. And then later on in verse 28, Paul talks about the different callings on our lives as Christians. So some are called to be apostles, some prophets, some teachers, some miracle workers, some healers, some leaders, and so on. Here's the point. We're all diverse and different, but we need all of us to fulfill the mission and to be those ministers of reconciliation to a hurting world. The problem is that instead of recognizing and nurturing each other in our giftings and in our strengths, we put some on pedestals and ignore the others. We criticize some and get jealous about others. We see some as irrelevant and unnecessary and we, 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 we get irritated by people's differences. That's what we tend to do. You know, giving space and grace for difference is something we can, we can really go to town on because that was the first lesson we had to learn, John and I. In our second year of marriage, we decided to start a business. The famous line was, how hard can it be? We're so in love. We have all this, you know, degrees and experience. Let's start a business. Very quickly, we discovered that we have very different strengths, and those strengths started to grate. We really didn't like each other very much, and those problems at work followed us home, and it became... We spent time and energy just trying to change each other because, of course, my way is right. Problem is, John is thinking exactly the same thing. And so we were just at loggerheads. You know, we have a lion personality. What do lions do when they're upset? They roar. And we roared a lot. Tell you a secret, we still roar. We just know how to roar better. <laughs> And don't have it last as long, but we're still lion personalities. But, you know, we're, we're learning. We're always on a learning journey. Anyway, it was a very painful and frustrating time, very frightening, because that's not the relationship we had had before. And it, for, it, it was all because of our strengths, what I call superpowers. So John's superpower is he is exceptional at delivering and he is exceptional at attention to detail. He didn't realize that was his superpower. Neither did I. He thought I could see what he could see and I was just choosing to be sloppy. I couldn't even see it. My superpower is big picture thinking and connecting with people. But we spend time fighting each other without realizing that if we just, eventually we got there, which is why we're doing what we do, that if we could just respect each other's differences, there's an amazing team that can come from that. 
So, you know, that's our job, is to, when we don't recognize and respect differences, we misread intentions, we misunderstand each other, we break relationships, and we basically unintentionally do the devil's work. We must make space and grace for difference. So to do relationships well, we need to learn to love each other through our differences. And John and I have made it our life's work to keep on learning and to help others do 1 Corinthians 13 in practical ways. And we do that uh, in the workshops. We help people change behaviors from habits that damage relationships to habits that strengthen them focusing on four key areas of differences. And in the five minutes that we have left, we just want to share with you those four habits really quickly. Yes, we've been warned some of you need to go pick up your kids in five minutes, so we need to wrap yeah. 10 minutes. Okay, um, so yes, the four habits that we talk about, habit number one is be curious, not critical. And that habit is about recognizing that we're wired differently. We're all wired differently, we've spoken about that. But once you recognize that, changing your behaviors. And changing your behavior is not an easy thing to do, but it's a habit that you can develop. And once you develop, you, you've got to get rid of the old habits and start new habits. And once you start practicing the new habits, they become second nature to you, and that's how you turn up and show up as a better person. Uh, not understanding our differences means that ultimately we end up being blind and deaf. We're blind to other people's strengths, and we're deaf to voices that aren't similar to ours. We need to Stop doing that. We need to get our sight back, get our vision uh, and, our, and our hearing back. To do relationships well, we have to push past those frustrations that come from differences. We have to discover each other's, Andrew was talking about superpowers. We all have superpowers. The Marvel fans in here will know exactly what I'm talking about. We've all got superpowers. What are they? Once you can recognize those and start to respect and value those, then you're onto something. So turn to the person next to you and say, God's given you a superpower, and I'd like to find out more about it. That's what being curious is all about. They've got a superpower, what is it? And if it's somebody, and if it's somebody that you live with, work with, are likely to see again, I want you to commit to yourself that you will make an effort to find out what their superpower is. And then habit number two, be careful not crushing. This is about understanding that we have different approaches to, to dealing with conflict, and quite frankly, none of them work. So we need to learn how to treat each other better in, when tempers are flaring, how to still be loving, and how to behave in ways that strengthen rather than damage the relationship. Conflict is going to happen. You're not, as long as you're here on Earth and you have two, different, two people with different opinions, conflict will happen. It's all through the Bible. Being super spiritual doesn't mean conflict doesn't exist. So let's just let that one sink in first. It's going to happen. So the wise thing to do is to get better at how we turn up and how we fight, because it's going to happen. And one of the, the, the first steps to changing behaviors and mindsets in order to develop habit two, be careful not crushing, is to ask yourself, who do I want to be? And how do I want to be experienced, especially by those who matter to me when I'm under pressure. Who do I really want to be? And, you know, Ephesians 4, 31 to 32 gives us the goal. Get rid of all rage and anger and harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. 
Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. And you know what? When we become more careful than crushing, we're less rude, we're less easily angered, we're, less, um, we're more likely to forgive and bury the hatchet without marking the spot so we keep no records of wrong. This is how we live out 1 Corinthians 13 in practice. So turn to the person next to you and say, I commit to becoming more careful in how I treat people under pressure. Off you go. And I hope you mean that, commit. <laughs> okay, very quickly. How about number three? How about come number three? Back, come back, come back. No, we only asked you to say one thing, that was it. Not, this is not confession time. Okay. Habit number three, ask, don't assume, is about understanding how our different core values and beliefs can lead to wrong assumptions. It takes a lot of self-searching to be able to do that one, but you've got, it's something that's very important to do. We've got to change our mindsets and our behaviors, and actually there are three things we need to get better at. We need to get better at understanding assumptions that we carry. We need to get better at knowing what we value, and then setting healthy boundaries around what it is that we value. And thirdly, we need to get better around having some pretty courageous or tough conversations sometimes, and that's what we need to be able to secure the things that, that are important to us. Um, there's a, there's a, a scripture in Philippians 2.4 which says, we shouldn't just look out for our own interests, but take a look at the interests of others too. Our values are important to us, but what about the people around us? When we do that, that's how we build trust and we build respect into relationships. So, I think we're going to have to skip the turn to the person. Well, no, I want to say, so turn to the person next to you and just say very quickly, I'm going to get better at asking than assuming. Better at asking than assuming. Right, next, moving on. Okay, habit four, as we bring the plane into land, connect before you correct. And this is about getting better at communicating value and appreciation instead of constructive feedback. It's like we're hardwired to tell people when they're going wrong and we forget that our core need, we all want to know we matter. We all want to know we, we're loved and we're cared for. So habit four is about becoming intentional in communicating that value, that appreciation, that respect, that love in a way that means something to the people around us. When we learn to communicate that by God's grace, we pour more into the emotional bank account so that there's enough reserve there so that love can bear all things, so that love can hope all things, love can believe all things, love can endure all things because we're investing in building that strong emotional connection for the tough times. So you can, we can all just say it together, I'm going to get better at connecting and ease up on the correcting. And ease up on the correcting. Things now we land <laughs> So there we go. As we move to close, a couple of final thoughts. It's probably no surprise that when you look through the order of the, of the scriptures, they're in an order for a reason. Before you get to that love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 12 is the DE&I chapter Andrew spoke about. All about our differences. These are the differences, guys. You need to learn to love. That's the order. That's the order of the scriptures. And if we don't do that, the opening of chapter 13 says, if we don't do that, we don't have love, what are we? A clanging cymbal or a gong. We're just, we're just an irritating noise if we don't have love. We've got to learn how to love. Um, yeah, that, that's, that, those, those are the points that maybe the band would like to come up and... 
I don't know. Join up as we the close. Do we have a moment for that? Just so. Yeah, we want to pray. Yeah. We're, we're, okay. We had to race through that last bit. Apologies, but here's the point that we're that we're making. As a church and as Christians, we're called to show love like Jesus did. That is how the world will know that we are his. So let's put, put the effort in to grow relationally so that we love well and we can fulfill this calling to be ministers of reconciliation. And we want to end praying together for three things. If you don't know God, if you don't know God's love, okay. Stand up and we'll pray that. We'll just go straight into prayer. <laughs> All right. Lord, we thank you for the time we've had together. We thank you for the laughter. We thank you for the insight. We thank you for sharing your heart, which is all about relationships. And Lord, there are three things on our hearts that we'd like to pray. For those who don't yet know you or know your love, and if that's you, just put your hand on your chest, whether you're in the audience or... Uh, online or watching on catch up anything that resonates put your hand on your chest and pray with us if you don't yet know God's love we pray that you'll open your heart to God and get in right relationship with him and let that new position change your disposition father just meet those who want to know you right where they are let them open their hearts and welcome you in and secondly if you know God but you need more of the fruit of the spirit in your relationships Lord, we just pray for those who want, help, who, who want more of you evident in their relationships, that you will graft them deeper into the vine, that they can draw from your source so that your character will be on display in the way they relate with those around. And then, Lord, for those of us who want to pick up the mantle and become those ministers of reconciliation, indeed, we pray, God, that you will show us all where we need to grow and where we need to go. The relationships that we need to work through, we pray your healing balm. We pray your presence. Help us, Lord, bring healing and reconciliation in our relationships, in the relationships around us, and to a hurt and desperate world. Help us take up that mantle, we pray, and let relational growth be our goal intentionally. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.